And let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, this evening we do join our voices to the choirs of heaven, proclaiming holy, holy, holy are you, Lord God Almighty. Lord, we pray that this evening as we look at this passage, as we see that as believers our overarching goal, our desire, is to glorify you in all that we say and do. I pray that you would just arrest our hearts with this reality. That we would see the high calling of being in Christ. That even makes the mundane things like eating and drinking have purpose. Lord, work in our hearts this evening for your glory. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but there's a pretty big football game that begins in about seven minutes. And uh, many of the players who will play in that game, in fact, many of the players who play professional sports, it is a, a, something that they dedicate their entire lives to. Being a professional athlete and making it to something like the Super Bowl, it's not something you just, you know, they woke up yesterday and decided, you know what, I want to play in that game. It is an all-of-life commitment. It started when they were young. They spent hours and hours, days and weeks in practice in different football camps. Days and weeks in the gym, keeping their body in shape, building the muscle that they need. In fact, it's not just to those big things that we think of, right? You think of an athlete, you, you think of the gym. You think of them going out and running. But it's even dedication in the things that you eat. A pro athlete, most pro athletes, stick to a very strict diet. They are very purposeful in the things that go into their bodies. Not just in the things that they eat and drink, but even and how they spend their time. Not just in the gym, but even just generally how they spend their time. In fact, many contracts will include a clause in there that limits them from, during the summer, going out and playing basketball with a bunch of friends. Or going out and going four-wheeling, or skiing, or doing something that could cause injury to a knee, or, or a leg, or an ankle, or something that could put their contract, their football contract, in danger. It affects all of these things. And yet they're willing to do it. They're willing to give up playing basketball with their friends. They're willing to give up going skiing with their friends. They're willing to give up drinking pop and, and eating really good food. Because they're committed to a goal. In fact, the reality is that the... the Greatness of your goal will dictate the level of your dedication. As believers, we have a great goal. In fact, that's what we're going to see in our passage this evening, is that as believers, we have a great goal, even a greater goal than making it to any Super Bowl or any great sporting event. We have a greater goal. 
And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, we must be fully dedicated to what we are called to. That goal we see in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So this evening, as we look at this passage, we're going to back up and we're going to look at the context, the command, and the call of 1 Corinthians 10, 31. The context, the command, and the call. The first thing we see is the context which really is all of verses 23 to 30. In fact, you could back up going all the way even into chapter 8. But really it starts here in verse 23. All things are lawful to me, Paul says, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. What Paul is really getting at here is the the idea that just because you can do something does not mean that you should do it. You need wisdom in each situation that you approach to know what is helpful and what is edifying. The idea of edify, to to build up, to encourage, to strengthen. What helps and what edifies? In fact, note, going on into verse 24, it's not just what is helpful and what is edifying to me, but let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. It's not just thinking through, not only is this good for me to do, but how does this affect others? It's really the context of one another. Thinking through, loving, caring for those around you. In fact, Paul illustrates this very practically by turning our attention to the meat market. Verses 25 to 30. It's kind of like an illustration here. It's as if Paul is saying, let me, let me, let me illustrate this point. Let, it, let me help it make sense to you. He starts in verse 25, eat whatever is sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience sake. Feel free to eat it. Don't ask questions. You don't have to dive into the background of where this has been. Eat it. Why? For the earth is the Lord's and its fullness. In fact, that's one of the things that you'll see through this entire passage is that the issue here, when Paul says to eat and when Paul says not to eat, the issue in this passage is never the meat itself. That's never the issue. It's never the meat. It's never where it comes from. The issue is always the other's well-being, even going back to verse 24. The issue is always love, watching out for one another. The meat itself doesn't matter. We know those idols aren't real. We know that doesn't matter. But you have to approach each situation individually with wisdom. Paul starts diving into it here in verse 27. And really in these verses, 27 and 28, uh, even going into 29, he gives two specific examples. The example of the unbeliever and then the example of the believer with a sensitive conscience. Verse 27, in the case of the unbeliever, if any of those who do not believe invites you to dinner and you desire to go, eat whatever is set before you, asking no questions for conscience sake. 
But, verse 28, if anyone says to you, this was offered to idols, do not eat it for conscience sake, for the one who told you, and for your conscience sake, for the earth of the Lord's and the fullness and all its fullness. Many commentators note that the person here in verse 28, though Paul doesn't directly say this here, is likely a believer with a very sensitive conscience. That goes all the way back even to chapter 8, verses 7 to 13. This is a topic that Paul has been addressing. So what is the difference here? Why in one situation does he say, eat, don't even ask, just eat. And yet in the other situation, when it is brought up, he says, don't eat. It goes back to what we saw in verse 24. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. You see, there's two different goals here. That's what changes the situation. It's not the meat. It's not the person sitting down to eat. It is the other person that you were eating with. To the unsaved, what does that person need? What is the goal? If I'm sitting down to, to eat with an unsaved man or woman, what is the goal there? What they need most basically is to be saved. My goal is to introduce them to my Savior. There's no need to close that door by causing offense. I I can't eat that. Don't you have any idea where that came from? There's no need to cause offense where offense is not needed. It is an offense in this situation. It would be offensive to this person. It would close this door if you were to refuse to eat. So eat. Yeah, what about verse 28? But if anyone says to you, this was offered to idols, do not eat. Why? For the sake of the one who told you and for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. Once again, you have a similar situation with a few different details. This time, the person that you are eating with points this out. The implication is they point this out because to them, that is a big deal. That makes all the difference, so they are abstaining. What does that person need? If, as indicated here, this is a believer... As opposed to the unbeliever, what that person needs is they don't need to be saved, but they need to grow. And just like there's no need to close the door to an unbeliever, so there's no need to close the door on a believer who has a more sensitive conscience than you. In this situation, you would cause offense by blazing forward and going on to eat. Again, it's important to note that the issue in both of these situations, it's not the meat itself. It's not where the meat came from. It is the person that you are eating with. You eat for their good, for an opportunity to share the gospel with them, or you don't eat. Why? For their good, to get to know them, to come alongside them, to encourage them so that they can grow. Either way, the goal is their good. 
In fact, Paul goes on in verse 29, for conscience, uh, I say not your own, but that of the other. For why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? But if I partake with thanks, why am I evil spoken of for the food over which I give thanks? If you blaze forward with a clean conscience, because I am the stronger brother in this situation, you're going to lead that other person astray. You're going to cause offense in their conscience. And they're going to view you wrongly. In fact, one, uh, Warren Wearsby writes, It is the mark of maturity when we balance our freedom with responsibility. It is the mark of maturity to balance freedom with responsibility. I have the freedom to do this, but I have the responsibility to love you. To leave the meat market and put it in a more context that maybe we would understand a little bit here. My mom taught kindergarten for 20-something years. And uh, you don't have to be around kindergartners very long to understand the delicate conscience of a kindergartner. My mom's got tons of stories about a kindergartner running up to her and saying, that person said a bad word. They said stupid. We understand that stupid is not a bad word. It can be a mean word. But it in and of itself is not a bad word of what we were thinking in that context. And yet, rather than diving into the finer points of language with that kindergarten, kindergartner and navigating the different household rules represented in a classroom, it's better to simply avoid using the word altogether. But I have a right to say stupid in kindergarten. But is it wise? You're causing more problems there than is worth having. Yes, you have the freedom, but your freedom is causing problems. That's what Paul is getting at here. Your freedom is not a right to flaunt, but it's a tool to be used for the good of others and the glory of God. In fact, the focus in this entire passage is not on my freedom to eat, but on my freedom and responsibility to love and to serve. So that's the context. The meat market, a call to one another to love and to care for one another as we turn our attention to 1 Corinthians 10.31. A well-known passage. Therefore, the context of my freedom and yet my responsibility to love. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink. Something that is seemingly insignificant. Eating and drinking, it really doesn't matter. I mean, how much thought do we really put into eating and drinking? You just grab something and you go. You run by the water fountain, you grab a drink. Yet even something that insignificant, we are called to do for the glory of God. 
And yet Paul doesn't leave it right there in the insignificant, but he broadens it. Or whatever you do. That includes a lot more insignificant things, and it includes a lot of very important things. In all that you do. In every single breath that you take. Every word that you say. Every step that you take. Do all to the glory of God. Your goal here is not to defend your freedom. Your goal is to glorify God. That really helps to put all of this into context. How is God glorified in these scenarios in the meat market? God is glorified by an unbeliever who comes to know Jesus Christ as Savior. God is glorified when two brothers in Christ love each other enough to set aside their rights and care for one another and grow with one another and sharpen each other like iron sharpens iron. Whether you eat or whether you don't drink, eat. Whether you drink or whether you don't drink, whatever you do, do all of it to the glory of God. And this ties us back to even the illustration I used at the beginning. That your mindset in this informs your dedication to this. If everything that I am doing is for the glory of God, that everything that I do must be excellent. Everything that I do must have purpose. If everything I do is to bring glory to God, then every step I take has meaning. Every word I say has meaning and purpose and power. Because my goal is God's glory, then my pursuit must be excellence. This ties even to what we've been looking at in Ephesians, parenting, submitting to your husband, loving your wife, pursuing excellence in these matters because it's for God's glory. And everything that we do here as a church, excellence because it is for God's glory. For those who teach children down on the lower level. A lot of times the church doesn't even know you're down there. But do it for God's glory, not for recognition. And do it with all your might. Because your goal is the glory of God. So pursue excellence in teaching even children and infants. And all that we do. Do it to the glory of God. It gets to our mindset. It gets to our purpose. It gets to the reason why we're doing things. But it also must affect the way in which we are doing things. So the context is one another. The command 
do all to God's glory. And finally then, the call. Understanding the command to do all to God's glory, the context of doing this to one another, the call in verses 32 to 33. So give no offense either to the Jews or the Greeks or to the church of God, to the unsaved or to the saved. Give no offense. Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many. I think it's important to recognize the context in which Paul says that. Because not understanding that could be dangerous. Seeking to please all men can be done out of the fear of man. But what Paul is saying here is his seeking to please all men in all things. It is not driven by the fear of man. It is driven by the fear of God and a desire for his glory. For I'm not seeking my own profit. I'm seeking the profit of many. To what end? That they may be saved. And that God is glorified in that. So brothers and sisters, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do this year, do all to the glory of God. Strive for excellence. Because your goal is ultimately the glory of God. It is his name that is at stake, not yours. To God be the glory. We're going to close this evening by singing the song Constrained by Christ. It's really a song that gets to this very same idea that we see here in Ephesians 10, or in 1 Corinthians 10 31. Constrained by Christ's atoning sacrifice without reserve, I offer him my life. Redeeming love compels me to proclaim the all-surpassing glory of his name. Let's stand together and sing, Constrained by Christ.